You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. I'm Jason Selms and this is episode 32, Chief Executive Officer of the Game Council of New South Wales, Brian Boyle. Fantastic to have you back with us again, February 2013 on today's show, Brian Boyle from the Game Council and we're chatting with everything to do with the Game Council, how to get a licence, how National Parks is going to work and everything in between. We've got a lot of listener questions that uh, Brian answered for us, so it was absolutely fantastic, but there is a lot to talk about. Uh, before we get into uh, the show for February 2013. First off, what I wanted to say is that the week before last, we had 7,000 listener downloads. And I, I, honestly, I'm just shocked. This was after the Game Council's uh, Ned Makem. Uh, we had like 1,500 downloads in the first 24 hours. It was just insane. And I just want to say thanks to everyone that supported the show and 7,000 listeners in a, in, a, in a week. I mean, given that is the whole podcast library for every episode we've downloaded, but 7,000, I just, I can't thank everyone enough. I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really sort of humbled that everyone's, you know, got onto the show and I look at the back end and we're getting listeners from all over the world, Japan, Canada, USA, Australia, New Zealand. I'm getting emails from across the world. Oh, I just I want to thank everybody uh, that's listening to the show. I really do appreciate it. But I just got back from a, a four-week holiday pretty much. Uh, first, I went to Queensland to visit my family at Christmas, and then I came home for about a week, and then I went to Ulladulla uh, down near Burrow Lake to spend time with uh, four days with Max Farrelly, the Fox Whisperer, who I had on my show in episode 14. Uh, we went hunting with his kids and his mum and got to end up getting a uh, 53, I think 53 or 54 centimetre flathead. So I, I kicked Max's butt in the fishing competition. But after that, then I went down to Malakuta, just on the border of Victoria, uh, in Victoria. A uh, little place called Malakuta, which is absolutely fantastic. Little place, little place of about 1,200 people. My mate's got a holiday house there, my mate that I went to school with. And uh, the brim were just off the chain. We were getting like high 30 size brim. But unfortunately this year the flathead weren't playing ball, which is a bit disappointing. My mate caught a 54 because Victoria's got new limits on dusky flathead. Uh, you've got to put back under 30 centimetres and you've got to put back everything over 55. Uh, so we're throwing everything at them. Nippers, potty mullets, uh, soft plastics, hard, hard bodies. Yeah, just, couldn't get, just couldn't get them. So, but what a fantastic trip. We ate a lot of brim and uh, it was just... My CI4 Stratic that I just bought did a bloody good job, I tell you. But uh, yeah, I'm back at work now, which is a bit disappointing, but that's how it goes. But coming up soon, we do have, this is important, we do have the election coming up, September 2013. Uh, and if you don't know how to vote, uh, obviously we should be voting for the Shooters and Fishers Party, that's who I'll be voting for. But if you don't know how to vote, go to the government website and learn how to vote correctly. Don't just vote above the line, because you know certain preference deals may see some part of your vote going to to, you know, it could even go to the Greens, but, you know, we don't know. So learn how to vote and learn how to uh, list and label, number every item below the box and put the Greens last. If we get all hunters and shooters voting for the Shooters and Fishers Party and the Fishos, you know, we can, we can make a change at this election and finally get rid of this Green contingent. We really need to push hard on this and we, we, we just don't want... 
uh, preferences going to the Greens and not knowing where they're going. So put the Greens last. So shootersandfishers.org.au, please vote for them at the next election. And also another funny one actually I wanted to say too was uh, David Sh- our old mate David Shoebridge tried to join the Inner West Hunting Club and was refused membership. Uh, he wanted to see what it was like to actually get you know, a... a, a a shooting license or a hunting license and uh there was a unanimous committee decision to say that he he wasn't he was not a fit and proper person to be be part of the club so congratulations to the uh, i think it's the inner west hunting club if i'm correct someone will be able to correct me but i think that's them uh good old mate shoe bridge in the greens huh uh, another good one coming out which i thought was absolutely fantastic coalition against duck shooting if you're an anti-duck hunter listen to this podcast you'd know that david mold and kelly lackman were charged with offenses during the 2010 duck hunting season both were given criminal records and fined almost ten thousand dollars each with all the costs and apparently what i've been hearing the witnesses and court costs will total above for both of them almost fifty thousand dollars with just under just under ten thousand dollars each, and all the witnesses cost. I mean, so it just goes to show if you're going down to the 2013 Victorian duck hunting season and you're going to protest, you will be given criminal records, uh, and it's going to cost you an absolute fortune to defend yourself in court. Uh, I had I had people that I know that were actually in uh, the court on the day they were sentenced, and there was an array of charges for both. I think uh, David ended up getting charged for just under ten charges. And uh, at one time, Kelly's was over 20. So uh, now criminal records, you know, some of their jobs may be impacted by these uh, criminal records they've been given. So stay off the wetlands, do the right thing. Otherwise, it just might cost you a criminal record, uh, which may affect your employment and may also uh, cost you a hell of a lot of money. So good stuff coming out of the Coalition Against Duck Shooting. But if you want to hear the Australian Honey Podcast, jump on the australianhoneypodcast.com.au website. That's where I put up all my posts and all my latest uh, episodes as they become available. Facebook, I think we're almost up to 1,500, about 1,350, so Australian Hunting Podcast on Facebook. Uh, we've also added Lance Mitchell to the Facebook page as one of our mods, and I've known Lance for a while, really top guy, uh, loves all type of hunting and fishing, and uh, if you jump on there, you can ask him some questions. He's a really knowledgeable guy. He was part of the Nepean Hunters Club for quite a long time uh, as a member and their secretary, so certainly you know jump on there and ask him some questions if you need to and he can contributing to the page and doing a good job so thanks lance for that appreciate it twitter ah podcast if you want to email me for any reason you want to get guests on the show have a chat ask me some questions criticize me you can do whatever you want you can do that at the australian hunting podcast gmail.com but just go easy on me <laughs> itunes rate five stars and also leave a comment if you're listening to it now jump on there leave a comment I'd thoroughly appreciate it. There's a lot of comments on there now. And as far as I'm aware, we are in the top 50 on the iTunes outdoor category. So that's that's like crazy. I'm really excited about that. You can check us out on Stitcher.com if you're overseas and you don't have access to iTunes. You can just jump on the Stitcher application and get a Wi-Fi connection and listen to us anywhere uh, around the world. Uh, my business website, aussieferralcontrol.com.au. If you need any professional hunters, jump on that site. But share the AH, uh, sorry, share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. That's uh, always appreciated. Uh, one of our sponsors, Australian Hunters International. Uh, you can check them out online if you're looking for a place to uh, you know, join and to you know, someone to help you get your license and also you know, have a chat with like-minded hunters in the industry that can help you out and get you on the way. Uh, join the Australian Hunters International. They're actually a really great club. So you can check them out at ozhuntersinternational.org.au. Appreciate all the listeners. Hopefully have a big week when this podcast is released. We've got plenty coming up. We've got a bow hunting podcast coming up. 
Uh, we've got heaps coming up on the Australian Hunting Podcast for 2013, so stay tuned. So this podcast is dedicated to all my listeners, uh, all 7,000 that tuned into my show. It's also dedicated to my Facebookers, my mods on my Facebook page, and all the hunters that have made the show what it is today. So without further ado, let's rock this show. Let's get into my interview with Chief Executive Officer of the Game Council of New South Wales, Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle, CEO of the Game Council of New South Wales, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Brian Boyle, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio. Pleasure to have you on the show representing the Game Council of New South Wales. Thank you for the opportunity to talk, Jason. I really appreciate it. No, thank you very much. I guess so, you know, tell us about yourself. How did you you know, personally get into, you know, hunting and shooting and your background and also how you became the, you know, the CEO of the uh, New South Wales Game Council. Well, Jason, you probably pick up from the accent, I'm a Kiwi. So um, I grew up in uh, Southland in New Zealand and my father, my brother and all my uncles uh, hunted. First went out duck hunting when I was as a nine-year-old with my uh, dear old dad. I can remember going out on his push bike. He used to have a little wooden seat that he uh, had on the uh, on the bar for me, and he'd have three or four decoys on the back. And in those days, you could actually ride out of town with a shotgun over your back. We used to shoot right on the edge of town, shoot ducks, and uh, that sort of that that just hooked me right from then. And uh, myself and all my brothers used to uh, couldn't wait to we we had to wait till we were nine years old before we went out with my dad. And, and I shot my first duck, uh, you know, at that age. You had to be strong enough to be able to pull the hammer back on the shotgun before you're allowed to shoot it. <laughs> uh, I got interested in deer um, after seeing a sort of like one of those old real movies on deer colours in New Zealand, and, and that was it for me. And uh, my mum gave me a book on deer colours, and uh, my older brother gave me my first rifle, which is an old smelly uh, 303 when I was 16. And soon after my 16th birthday, uh, me and a schoolmate headed off into Fjordland for a hunt, and uh, we shot our first deer. And over the next 20 years, I did a lot of hunting. I I went to university, but I didn't really like economics and accounting, so I ended up uh, broke my parents' heart. I went off and became a shearer and a freezing worker and a forestry worker for a number of years. And then I decided uh, I'd go back to uh, university, and I went to Lincoln College and did a diploma in parks and rec management. And I, I did a lot of studies then on game animals, on tar and on deer. I did a, uh, a short thesis uh, for my diploma on... Uh, recreational deer hunting in New Zealand and, and that led to a job with the environmental division of the New Zealand Forest Service and uh, I can remember my first day uh, working with the New Zealand Forest Service the uh, the boss showed me where the 270 was behind the seat and I just thought all my dreams had come true so okay. over the next few years I, I worked for the Forest Service and then Department of Conservation and I ended up uh, in the late eight, or the mid 80s as the officer in charge at uh, Lake Sumner and Hamner and in the centre of the South Island of New Zealand, and looking after a hunting area there. And uh, I ended up moving to Tasmania in 1990. And um, I worked for parks down there and got involved in working with hunters at uh, Malting Lagoon Game Reserve and also on Flinders Island. And I was very lucky. I met a guy called Brian Murphy, an American they'd brought over to do their, to do their deer project. And he got me involved as an honours student. Uh, I was doing a degree at Charles Sturt University and I was actually doing a master's and I swapped to a, an honours research project on fallow deer in Tasmania. And um, that really helped, you know, give me a, brought me into a whole new area and uh, of, of deer management, uh, especially on quality deer management, which we've, we've now adapted to ecological deer management. 
and I moved to Victoria in, in late 1995 uh, when I finished my honours uh, project and I worked at Lake Hilden National Park and uh, I actually lived in the park there and I, I didn't know that there was deer in the park, I thought they were at Mansfield and uh, I actually went out off the back porch one night and I got honked by Samba and I just thought I was in heaven again and I, I really um, <laughs> I really did, did a lot of Samba hunting over the next eight years. I, I became a total addict uh, to it. I absolutely love samba hunting, but I'm also very keen on on the duck seasons. But the sort of duck seasons dried up during that you know dry period, and um, I was one of the few rangers uh, you know in Parks Victoria at that stage that had a deer uh, deer head hanging in my office when I was officer in charge. But I, I thought it was important to let them know that uh, you know hunting was part of my culture. It's a very important part of what I do and my family have done, and uh, I don't take shit from anyone when it comes to that, because it's a perfectly legitimate uh, outdoor um, pursuit. And, uh, yeah, they got quite used to it in the finish, and uh, a lot of people got quite used to what I to what I do. How I ended up at the Game Council is um, in about 2002, late 2002 or early 2003, an email came out of the blue from a guy called Robert Brown, who I'd, I'd heard about but I'd never met, and he asked me if I was... Uh, if I knew anybody who might be interested in a job with the game council as the ops manager, I says, yeah, look, I knew plenty of guys, but there's no way I was going to tell them because I wanted the job. So I ended up getting <laughs> interviewed for the job as ops manager. And a couple of years later, I ended up as CEO. And uh, for me, it's just living the dream. I, I have a passion for hunting. I, uh, I love all forms of hunting. And I really like what we're doing here in New South Wales. And I'm... I'm just privileged to work with the council and the team that I do, and, and I really, really believe we're actually making a difference at the moment, and we're making a, you know, we're really doing, uh, you know, really good work for hunting, not only in New South Wales but all of Australia. Absolutely, I man. I think that's one of the best intros I've ever had on the show, and unapologetic about being a hunter. I like it. Yeah, mate, it's just part of what I do, and I, I love it. I love it and live it. And I really pity people who uh, who are so disconnected that they've never been out, you know, heard the whistle of wings over top of your decoys, or or um, you know, heard a red stag roaring in a gully, or, or seen a big salmon stag charge out of a gully. Man, they're, they're the ones missing out, not us. That's right, mate. Absolutely, you're 100% right. So I mean, I think you just blew my next question out of the water. But what types of game do you like to hunt? Obviously, deer being one of them. Look, I'm really keen on deer. I, I really love hunting um, uh, ducks. I used to be very. I was more of a duck hunter when I was younger because of my dad, and I was into game. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, hunting all forms of game birds when I was younger. I, I absolutely love hunting California quail on the riverbeds of North Canterbury. I um, I love hunting goats and pigs with a bow. Uh, there's nothing better than uh, you know going hunting ducks down on the rice here. I love the hunting in Australia. I still like going back to New Zealand. I love hunting uh, chamois, uh, chamois and tar in the summer. I just that's fantastic, and and nothing can beat, you know, hunting a red deer in the roar or just stalking through a quiet gully after salmon. It's all good. I'm also a member of Sunday Island, and I really, uh, you know, the um, little hog deer really capture me. I just just think they are fantastic little animals, and and I really love what we do on Sunday Island Para Park. Absolutely. I was I was telling you an email before we were on the show that I'm going down to the rice next. We're leaving next week for a whole week, so. Hopefully, you know, we're going to be able to help out, but also have a good time in the process as well. So it should be fun. Yeah, look, I'll be down there in early December. I'm having uh, a week off and I'm going to go and uh, shoot some ducks for for Christmas. So it'll be great. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So I guess tell the listeners, uh, you know, about the Game Council of New South Wales that, you know, let's say there's people out there that, you know, sort of living under a rock, they might even be hunters and they don't know anything about the Game Council of New South Wales. Where is it located? 
how many uh, uh, game license holders does it have, and what it can provide hunters in the way of access to hunting land in New South Wales? Look, uh, yeah, look, it's a really good question, and, and it's it's really good to uh, let people know about the Game Council. We're actually an, an arm of government. We're a statutory authority. There's, there's two parts of the Game Council. There's the 16 appointed councillors who provide me with direction, and then I work for them, and, and we've also got the division, which is all the people who work for the Game Council. And the Game Council itself is uh, 16 appointed members by the Minister, and the, uh, the talent and experience of people on that council is, is really what's driven the Game Council. You know, uh, we have our chairman has, has huge experience in hunting, as, as have the past chairman. He has, he's an OH&S specialist. We have professors, you know, some of the top professors for wildlife in Australia on it. We have uh, corporate lawyers, uh, a corporate accountant, and uh, um, we have you know, a lot of professional people on the council that provide direction to me, not only in a business sense, but also have a, have a wide range of hunting experience. And as far as the Game Council division, we're based here in Orange. We have a small office with about 14 people here. And we also have five offices around the state at St Mary's, Bathurst, Tamworth, uh, Tumut, and down in Tokemore. And I have uh, a really uh, keen bunch of game managers and also all of the stakeholder services. One of the things that we've really tried to do with the game councillors, we're here to service the hunters as much as we can. And we, we really go out of our way to provide the absolute best service for the 18,827 current licence holders. And, and the, the, the license holders, the number of licence holders going up by about 50 or 60 a week. Wow. And uh, it really is fantastic. We've got access to you know around 360 state forests with about 400 declared at the moment. We've got a lot of other work going on, and um, we're we're work we he we're here to work on behalf of the hunters. We we do a lot of PR out there uh, on behalf of the hunters. We are developing hunter education programs. We've got Dr. Andrew Moriarty. He's uh, doing a fantastic job not only in research but in developing hunter education uh, for hunters around the state because I believe hunter education is very, very important. My father and uncles were quite experienced and did a lot of me with me duck shooting, but uh, duck hunting, but as far as deer hunting goes, I never had anyone really to show me what to do and I, I think it's, it's really important if we can help and train people so that they can be more successful, they will stay uh, in hunting and actually by being successful then they can uh, they can take other people out and, and also we can contribute to environmental management, which is so important in this state. Absolutely. So uh, let's say someone wanted to uh, get their game licence. What training, say, would you say is required so they're competent, obviously, when going out in the field? There's a number of ways of going about getting your um, restricted game hunting licence. If you're going to just get a general game hunting licence to shoot ducks down the rice on private land, you don't have to sit any accreditation. But if you want to hunt on public land, and soon will be in national parks, you have to go through a process of either having an, an approved training course that's been approved by the Game Council, or you sit an open book test. And the one thing we've found is that hunters are out there hunting safely. We just want to reaffirm, and also there are just a few extra pieces of Game Council legislation that they need to know. And the best way to do that is by an open book test. You give them the, um, the number of questions. They sit there, they read the book, they answer the questions. It lets them know where this information is and uh, it just reaffirms and just helps uh, train that. Also, we have the Game Council has ongoing hunter education. We, we have deer hunting workshops and pig hunting workshops and uh, our magazine that comes out and also what we put on our website and our outreach programs. All of these add up to helping to train 
train hunters to be able to be better and hunt safer, uh, you know, out in the bush. There's been some very good studies done in New Zealand that shows that if you expose people to ongoing training, mentorship, they, they're far less likely to have an accident. So that's a very important part of what we do. If we if we can get out there and hunt successfully and safely, we'll be a part of the future of uh, New South Wales. And, and I hope uh, you know one day that uh, we'll we'll have this migration. You know, 20 years ago people were. Uh, shooters in the state. Really, the, the shooting was really just mainly off the back of a truck. So we're trying to turn shooters into hunters and hunters into game managers, and game managers and hunters being a respected part of the community in New South Wales. And it's going to take a generation to do, but we're well on the way to starting that now. Absolutely. I know the Game and Feral Animal Control Act, you know, changed recently for, you know, the species list, but I guess at the moment, could you tackle what types of species should hunters expect to be able to uh, you know, hunt uh, as a game, uh, so game council license holder, but also what are the new, some of the new regulations coming out for species towards the end of the year? Okay, what what can currently be, be hunted is that we've got the six species of deer in New South Wales, and that's red, fallow, hog deer, samba, cheetle, uh, and rusa. And there are yep. seasons for them, and, and uh, it's uh, today's uh, the first day of the close season for the red fallow and uh, Wapiti. And the reason for the closure of those seasons is because these animals have a set breeding period and it's an animal welfare provision. But you can still, because of the um, the Asiatics can breed any any time of the year, the season remains open for them. And there's good hunting in New South Wales for, for Samba and for Rusa in, in certain areas. So you can hunt those. On state forests you're also allowed to hunt your cats, foxes, wild dogs, rabbits, hares, and pigs and goats. And uh, all of those can be taken all year round. And the more that we get involved with controlling these animals on state forests and soon to be in national parks, we can be a, a real part of the solution. And uh, it's been shown uh, the, the amount of animals that we took last year on state forests alone, the opportunity cost would have been $2.4 million to take them. And it's a great argument for the Game Council. We're, we're sure we received 2.5 million from the government, but the opportunity cost we saved was 2.4 million. On top of that, we did law enforcement programs. We've done hunter education. We're working with the police, and, and we're on various committees. So there's a whole lot of other work that's been done on top of, uh, you know, what would have been would have been the cost of removing those animals. And on top of that, our licensed hunters took another 700,000 animals off private land. And to date, we've taken. We've taken something like three million animals off public and private land. It's a huge contribution to game and feral animal management in the state, and it's only going to get bigger as guys come on board. So, Brian, what types of hunting can be done, say, in state forests with a restricted game license? The restricted game hunting license allows you to hunt with dogs, bows, firearms, and black powder. And in some forests, uh, there are some just bows-only forests because of um, the conditions that have been set by the land manager. And at certain times of the year, uh, during the fire season, the um, black powder is limited. But mostly throughout the year, there is a, uh, a hell of a lot of hunting to be done out there with your firearms. And there's, there's at least 260, I think, of the forests where we allow dogs in there. And that's dogs to go hunting pigs. Or if you're like me, you've got a Labrador and you like, you, you have them hunting with you when you're either hunting deer or goats. Yeah, I used them as a, I used my Labrador and I used to have a uh, Jack Russell before that, just as indicator dogs. I just work off their body language and, and when they're scenting an animal, I know that animals are about. Or, you know, if we're following up an animal, you, you never lose one if you've got a well-trained dog. So there's huge opportunities with all the current forms of hunting uh, across the, uh, the 360 state forests that are open. 
Exactly. So if the listeners don't know, let's say they've got their, they've got their game license, how do they actually book into, you know, say, a state forest if they want to go out for a hunt? Obviously, they want to be doing it correctly. So how do they go about it? They don't just get their license and just turn up to a state forest. So what do they have to do once they have their license to book in for a hunt? Once you've got your license, it's a requirement that you must have a written permission to go and hunt on these state forests. And there's two ways you can do that. There's a simple online process. All you do is jump on the Game Council website and click on to uh, go onto the written permission system. And it only takes a few minutes to fill it out once you know. You can have a look through the forest. You can you can have a look at all, all the map with all the forests across the state. You can also uh, go in and then have a look at some detailed maps from that. Also on our website we have um, species report that tells what animals have been taken and what forests in the past. We don't talk about animal densities because the minute we talk about densities then it puts an expectation of the hunters that those animals are going to be at that density and the animals move or they may, they may come under hunting pressure. But we do say that in certain forests these are the animals that we know have been taken there in the past. So you can go and, and it's just a few simple clicks and it normally takes a couple of minutes and then you print it out on your, your written permission. You read it because it's very important that you read the conditions and have a look at the map, sign it and then you can go hunting. If you haven't got access to a computer or uh, you, you know, you, you're not comfortable with computers, all you have to do is ring up with uh, the license processing unit or customer services unit and they will look after you. And they will ask, you'll, you'll need your license number and your PIN number or, or just they'll ask you some questions as to you know, your date of birth and things like that, just to confirm it's you and then they'll print out the, uh, the, the written permission and send it to you. We're all about servicing our hunters, so it's a really simple service, a really simple way of getting online and doing it quickly, or ring our guys at the office here in Orange, and you'll have a written permission there in the next mail. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. So I guess what are some of the initiatives that the Game Council either you know have approval or to implement or are implementing to promote the sport of hunting and shooting? Well, each year we, we undertake an advertising campaign in the newspapers throughout the state. And this is just to um, advise people about hunting and also to engage more hunters in it. And it's quite a quite an involved process. We actually have to go before a, a cabinet committee to receive approval for that. We have a Facebook page uh, that's that's been very successful. And ever since we've had the Facebook page, the hunters have been engaging themselves with the Game Council and we've noticed that our licence sales have gone up through that. We're also developing a series of uh, YouTube clips that we've uh, we've got information on YouTube. So if you want to see how to how to book an R license, just go to our our website and click on YouTube and go to our YouTube channel. Um, I've also picked up uh, the idea of uh, getting started booklets from New Zealand. The New Zealand Fish and Game does a fantastic job in, in getting people into fishing and hunting over there. So I've uh, just creatively plagiarised what they do, and we've got <laughs> a, uh, getting started booklets for bow hunting deer and pig dog hunting. We've produced nearly 100,000 of those and we've, we've got another three in the series to come and they will just go out and, and we will swamp uh, the southeastern you know, I mean, southeastern Australia with these so that people who are coming into uh, hunting will uh, you know, get a basic guide on how to get into it and if they haven't got somewhere to go, you have got somewhere to go if you've got an R licence. It's as simple as that. So that's one of the great things about the R licence is with the public land now, no one's got an excuse. If they want to go out and they put a bit of effort in, you've got somewhere to go hunting and, and you will find deer, pigs, rabbits and goats. And, you know, there's some great hunting out there. Everywhere, Everybody's got somewhere to go now. You've just got to find the time to do it. Exactly. Now, you're 100% right. I've always wanted to take up bow hunting, but 
I think I might leave it to the rifles until you know, until I get more experience, until I start picking up the bows. That's for sure. Yeah, look, the bow hunting I, I absolutely love. I, I've been thinking about it for years before I moved to Orange, and there's a, a good bow hunting club here, and I joined that, and I've been doing it now for about eight years, and, and I really love um, bow hunting, especially for goats and pigs. It just uh, it puts a whole new aspect on it, and also when you go back to the rifle, it just makes it so much easier. It really does. Exactly. So do you, do you expect, uh, with the new legislation, uh, do you expect an increase in the take-up of, say, restricted game licences once national park hunting kicks off towards the end of the year or early next year? Very much so. The, the interest has increased quite dramatically since the announcement by the Premier. Uh, and actually, you know, last month was a record for us on the amount of licences sold and our income. So it really will kick off. And you know, we're going to jump from... 2 million hectares to 4 million hectares of public land, which is more public land than even you've got to hunt in all of Victoria. You know, So the opportunities for New South Wales and Victorian hunters and southern Queensland, there's a lot of guys very keen in the southern Queensland area. There's going to be some great hunting. And it's it's the great thing about it is we, we're going to be contributing to national park management in a really positive way. So the more we get into it and the more we help national parks, they will be able to concentrate on other areas of core business, but also it will normalise hunting in, in national parks. It's national parks, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of them was first thought of by a hunter, Theodore Roosevelt, and the, the term conservation was first termed by a, a hunter. And so it's putting the two together and having hunters back into national parks is a very natural step, and it's, it's a very positive one by this government. Exactly. Is it any, any issues kicking it off to everything flowing along quite smoothly? There's a lot going on behind the background. I'm on a steering committee, but I can't really discuss the details. It's, we're putting together uh, recommendations, and they'll be going up to the Premier in the next couple of months. The Premier and Cabinet will then uh, give us the directions on how we're going to implement it. But, you know, I expect, you know, by March next year that the guys will be, uh, you know, stepping into national parks and hunting, and I can't wait to do it myself. I've got areas of Kosciuszko, and I'm just really looking forward to, to going down there and having a hunt, and I intend to pop a champagne pop a <laughs> champagne the day I do it. Exactly. No, fantastic. Uh, tell the listeners uh, about any special programs being run by the Game Council, such as you know the deer management program in Illawarra, etc. Well, we get involved in, in certain areas um, to to do special management programs, and the Illawarra is a very interesting one because we've got the the issue of deer coming into the urban environment down there, and there's there's, there's been a couple of deaths, uh, you know, from deer crossing the road and vehicles hitting them or motorbikes hitting them. The deer do have an impact on people's backyards, so we're working with the local land managers down there, landowners, to try and involve hunters more and more. That's one area there where we have to try and really lower the numbers and try and help you know, landowners, whether it they be farmers or just people who own uh, you know, normal houses, but they, they, the deer are coming in and eating their roses, or they're, they're causing issues by crossing the highway. Um, we are working on one mine site down there. It took a couple of years to, to uh, get their agreement, but they're a major landowner uh, right next to Wollongong. And we've gone in there, we've done surveys to do with the deer, we've done surveys of threatened ecological uh, rainforest communities down there, we've gone through and worked with them because the mining legislation is so tight that you have to be inducted onto the site, you have to receive certain training, um, the, the guys have to be, agree to be alcohol and drug tested, same as anybody who works on a, on a mine site. 
and then we've given opportunities for hunters to go down there, and, and they're having some fantastic hunting shooting. Um, fellow deer, but mainly rooster and the odd goat, and they're doing a very good job, and the mines are very happy with it. And we hope to expand that across other areas. And we're doing this under what's called ecological deer management, and that's a, a system where you look at the impacts of deer and the wishes of the landholder, and you try and uh, meet the uh, the needs of the, of both, so that we can manage deer so that they're minimising their impact on the uh, on the environment, or if the landholder wishes to manage them in a certain way where the, there is a little or minimal impacts, they may want to manage the herd in a different way. The, it's been proved when we saw in Tasmania where if you actually just, uh, if you work with the landholders and the hunters and explain to them the basics and the concepts of a good game management, you can actually lower the deer in an area, but people have uh, you know, a much better outcome just by managing the herd properly, by managing the sex ratios and the age uh, structure of the herds. You can, you know, the landholders are happy because there may be less deer. The hunters are happier because they're harvesting uh, the female deer for meat. They're getting the old um, stag or buck going through to a, an older age group. So for the guys who, who hunt for trophies, so they're happy about that. And you're getting the repro reproductivity rate of the herd up so that you're turning over the herd at a much higher rate and you don't need as many animals so that the animals are actually in better condition. It's, it's, a, it's a process which seems counterintuitive to, to what you would think, but it, it is actually, it's, um, you know, game management isn't rocket, scientists, rocket science. It's really just working with land managers and hunters and then explaining you know, how it works and getting them on side and then uh, having much better outcomes than uncontrolled situations. That's right, and then, yeah, licensed hunters uh, for the Game Council have a pretty impeccable record, but how should licensed hunters, say, conduct themselves when you know, hunting in a state forest? It's really important to get in there, read your written permission. We just ask that, one, that people read their written permission. Two, you know, wear your blaze orange hat when you, when you go around, and, and uh, don't, you don't have to go and hide. You can be proud to be a hunter and proud to, to be an R-licensed hunter on, on public land as long as you're being ethical and responsible and legal. And make sure, you know, uh, when you're talking to people, let them know you're a hunter because it's really important that people understand that we have very normal part of society. In fact, you know, if you've gone through and got a, a, a firearms license, you know, we're, we're one of the few sections of the, of the community that's actually been checked by the police. We're actually the elite, not the, not the other way around. Get in there, talk to people. If you see a, a, one of the local forestry guys, you know, wave to them or say hello. Sometimes they've seen animals in that area. They might be able to help you. If they're not interested in hunting, they might point out where some goats or where they saw a bit of pig sign or where they saw a deer crossing the road. And um, the other thing is when you, if you're camping in an area, you've got to keep your campsite really clean. You've got to look at, if, you, if you're going to butcher an animal, butcher it away from the roads and away from campsites. And please, you've got to leave the campsites in a better condition than the way you had. The way we behave is reflecting on everyone. We're under a lot of scrutiny, but one of the things you know that the Game Council is very proud of is the way that the hunters have responded in the last seven or eight years. Our guys do a great job. They are responsible. Sure, like any group, there are a few people that uh, we have to respond to, and, and we, we do do compliance operations, and our game managers are out in the bush. But on the for the vast majority of the 80 or 90,000 uh, written permissions that we have issued, the, the guys have been doing a really good job and behaving very responsibly. Absolutely. And does the Game Council work closely sort of with any other government organisations in the plan and implementation of feral animal reduction programs? It all depends on the area, but you know, we work with 
uh, catchment management authorities. In certain areas, we work with the livestock health and pest authorities on their programs. We definitely work closely with Forest New South Wales. Uh, a case in point would have been the pig program that uh, we did last year uh, up around the Tamworth area. They were actually going to do a um, a wild dog program, a baiting program, and they asked to get our hunters in first to, to remove as many pigs as they could so that they wouldn't take the baits. So we can we can integrate with them in certain areas. Uh, down on the south coast, the guys were working on a smoky mouse program where they helped Forest New South Wales uh, with the threat abatement program for foxes which impact on the smoky, smoky mouse. So it depends on the area, but it, we are working across the state. Another good example was uh, in Port Macquarie. We work very closely with the local council, we have to work with the police because they're, they're shooting very close to in and around Port Macquarie. And the same happens as well as in uh, in Wollongong, working with the Wollongong City Council and the LHPA. And we have to let the police know about what's going on in there. So we do work with, uh, with um, uh, local councils and we have some spectacular results. Uh, there was a, a program that was going to come up in Cowra and they rang me, they, they'd been given a an $8,000 grant to undertake uh, the removal of what they thought was 15 fallow deer. And they says, you know, can you give us any advice? And I says, well, have I got a deal for you? So we got the hunters, local hunters involved at no cost to the council. The, the guy shot, I think, was 49 uh, fallow deer <laughs> in and around the Japanese gardens and the hospital grounds. Did a great job of that at no cost to the council. And they, the council did spend a bit of money on signage, on supervising them and on some tree stands. But they did it much cheaper and they took a lot more deer than they ever would have if they hadn't have been involved the hunters in the local community in it. Exactly. And this is a lot of stuff that people don't know about too, so it's good to get the information, you know, out there to the to, to the hunters and shooters and not only that, but mainly the general public. Yeah, that's right. And if if we can work on that and we we're getting out there as much as we can and it's it's amazing after four or five years of having publicity programs and, and being uh, on the radio and TV numerous times, that people still haven't heard of us. But we hope, you know, with, by the time we, we get through 10 years operation, and especially with going into national parks, that will be a, that will cause a lot of publicity around the state. But in, in a couple of years' time, when they see our hunters are responsible, it will turn around and it will, it, people will uh, start to understand that we are a very responsible part of the community. Exactly, and you know, I guess both of us, from what you said before, you love your bird hunting just like I do. Unfortunately, I don't get to do that much of it at the moment, but can you give the listeners any sort of info on the possible duck and quail introduction back into New South Wales? And I mean, mainly, do you think this would be a positive move for hunters, and, and how would it go, do you think? Well, the, there is a, an amendment bill before Parliament at the moment. It's not a government bill, it's, it's one from the Shooters and Fishers Party, so the government still has to you know, make the final decision on that, but the, the amendment bill, if it goes through, would uh, give management of these species uh, to the Game Council, and it's a very positive move because it's, it, will, it would be along an international union of conservation and nature sort of uh, a program or um, policy to, um, under, for sustainable utilisation. If we do it, we will apply science to the management of uh, game birds in this state, and it's a very positive move because uh, not only will we be able to uh, help in a much bigger way for the, the rice uh, program down in the Murray Riverina area, but we'll be able to look at, uh, there, there are uh, numerous other permits given out around the state, and we can also look at uh, sustainable harvest across the state on private land for, for hunters. And 
it, it will add to uh, hunting opportunities. It will it will encourage landowners and hunters to do more conservation efforts uh, to manage waterfowl and also uh, other game birds such as the native quail. It's a win-win all around. It's a win for the hunters. It's a win for the um, the species and their, their habitats, and it's it's a win for the environment because uh, the hunters will be also managing uh, predators, you know, such as foxes and cats as well, to to, to look after their game birds. Exactly, exactly. Not fantastic. I, I, I'm licking my lips. Literally can't wait because it's uh, hopefully, as you discussed, I'm hoping they, you know, the game council will take over some of the things like you know wit testing and 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 the licenses over the rice instead of having to necessarily deal with you know national parks and wildlife. But that in time that will tell, Brian. That's for sure. But there was a recent article about the game council handing out. Uh, water bottles to kids. Now, it was quite an interesting article. I mean, I think this was a bit of an overaction, but what do you think? Uh, you know, do you think the general public, and not only that, but the media more so, were being a bit over the top considering, I mean, it's an orange water bottle? Well, the, the media and the politicians do what media and politicians do. Um, it, it really illustrates the need to engage the community and help them understand about hunting and hunters. Uh, this was a case with a, with a local school and giving it out. It actually led to very good outcomes for us because what happened is that uh, it made the papers and also it was discussed at the school and there's quite a number of farmers actually contacted us with uh, with wanting help afterwards. So even when uh, it looks like a negative story in the press, it can turn around into a positive. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So that that one really did uh, surprised us, uh, but it came it turned around and had a really positive outcome with those landholders who came to us, and that that ended up as uh, some more hunting opportunities for for guys to help with fox programs and rabbit programs on a number of properties around Orange. So there's always a silver lining to every issue that when, that comes up like that. All right, Brian, I got a question off uh, one of our Facebook pages. This is Tristan Thompson, and he says. Um, if you're a licensed hunter, how many observers are permitted, say, per R license holder? Because obviously he's worried that if he goes down into a state forest that he's with someone, they're not licensed, there may be some issues. Cause, so can you just you know, clear up that one with you know, general public, fa- friends or family going with R licensed hunters, what, what their responsibilities are? That's a great question from Tristan. Thanks, Jason. We get asked this question a lot. The simple, simple answer is, if persons are accompanying you but not participating in the hunt, i.e. they're not carrying firearm, they're not handling the dogs, they're not uh, using a binos to spot the animals, if they're genuinely just going along with you for, for the hunt, that's okay. You can take people in there. You can have as many people back in the camp as you, as, as you like. If you're going out hunting, again, you can take as many people with you, but it gets hard to, cl- to close in on animals if you've got half a dozen people tramping along beside you. It's really important that they understand that they have to not participate in the hunt. They can't use binos. They can't be looking for animals for you. They can't be handling your dogs. and They can't be handling your firearms or your bows or, or or your hunting equipment. As long as they're just accompanying you, you can take people out, and there's no limit on that. But it's, just, it's really important that they do not participate, you know, in the hunt and help you hunt in the hunt. Yep, fantastic. All right, the second last question before we finish off. Can you just give us a little bit of a story, maybe, about one of your, uh, you know, whether it be when you were younger or a bit older, maybe a story, one of your your best hunting stories, you know, whether it be, you know, hunting deer, just a, a story that stands out in your mind that you can you can tell the listeners. I, 
that's that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> you know, whether it be a good day on the goats or a, one of the biggest deer you ever shot, or any anything you choose that maybe you can re- listeners can relate to as one of the a great story or a great hunting story in Brian Ball's life. Oh, look, it's. I think one of the things that uh, for for anything you do with hunting is when you're about you think you're about to lose it, and the day before I moved up to to Orange to take on my job. So I know what day it is because it was the day before my birthday. It was November 26th. Yep. And uh, in 2003, and my wife, uh, I just wanted to uh, you know, put up put up with my honey and I wanted to go out and have one last hunt uh, <laughs> near Alexandra for Samba. You know, I, I, I was very lucky. I've, I've, I lived right in amongst Samba and, and uh, I shot about 70 or 80 of them within 10 minutes of my house. It was just because I got to know these, these little gullies uh, and I went out for my last hunt, and I, I just uh, walked up into what I used to call the meat safe, my favourite little gully where I've shot 16 sambar out of one tight little area. It was about 400 metres over the years. And I just sat down, and uh, I just, just thought, geez, you know, I, I was really wondering whether I was doing the right thing with, um, you know, going to move to the job or not, because I just, I just love hunting gully, you know, just stalking through gullies for deer. And I sat down there, and it was just coming down towards sunset, and... Um, you know, you hear the kookaburras going off and the currawongs and, and all the bush sounds going around and I was really enjoying it and, and uh, I was just dead lucky, you know, 150 metres away from me, a nice samba stag walked out on the opposite face and uh, I shot him and I just went went, went, over, went across to him and uh, sat down there for about half an hour before I uh, chopped him up and, um, you know, it was, uh, that, that for me was uh, one of the most memorable hunts because I didn't know how much hunting I was going to, you know, do or I was moving away from a town and an area that I loved. I still own the house down there and I still get back there occasionally but um, you know, salmon hunting is something that I, you know, I like all forms of hunting but it's, it's a, they're great animals and I have a great respect for them. They are a very big animal but they're gentle giants. If you get to know um, how gentle those animals actually are in the bush and how quietly they walk and get to know them and, and actually you know you hear them in the bush and you get to hear their sounds and get to know them they are a fantastic animal. And uh, yeah, like all deer species, and and I was just dead lucky to have uh, you know great hunting, you know within 10 minutes to quarter of an hour of my place, and that's just that that um, that last hunt before I moved to New South Wales is uh, and to, to get a nice stag too was just uh, was a nice way to finish up in Victoria. I could uh, I can imagine that was a real tough choice to uh, whether you're going to take the position or not. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, but yeah. look, I know qualms about it now. It's the best thing I've ever done. I. I absolutely love what uh, what we do here, and the team that we've got on the game council. With the um, one of the things that we've we've done is uh, the council is, is is composed a lot of hunters and, and people who are interested in, in hunting and game management, and you know a very large percentage of of our staff have got to have that passion for hunting. And when you're surrounded by um, you know you're led by a council, and you have a team surrounding you that are that have the same passion for what you do and really believe, uh, you know, in what you're doing. This is why I believe, you know, we are really going in a, in a great direction and, and kicking goals in all directions. And I'm just so proud to be working with the team that I do. All right, Brian, if people say they wanted to get their the restricted or general game hunting license, you know, how can they go about it? So that would be, you know, websites, the phone numbers to call up the game council to have a chat. They want to, you know, they want to ring you up and find out, you know, they've heard this uh, podcast. They want to find out what it's all about. How can they do it? Which websites can they go to? Which phone numbers can they call to get more info or, you know, uh, apply for their uh, game hunting license? Just really easy. Just um, 
you know, Google Game Council New South Wales and it'll take you to our home page. Have a good look at that. It's got all the information. And then if you want to, give us a call on 02 Our customer services unit is one of the best government service units you've ever met. They'll look after you. Fantastic. Good stuff. Brian, thank you for coming on to the Australian Hunting Podcast to chat to us about all the things that the Game Council you know, are doing at the moment, what they can offer hunters in New South Wales. So it was a pleasure coming on to the show. I did interview Ned Makem about uh, hunting with dogs uh, last week, so that was also a fantastic podcast. So you've definitely you know, got some really uh, knowledgeable uh, folks there at the Game Council pushing forward the uh you know the, the sport and the and the enjoyment of hunting in shooting in new south wales so i appreciate your time in coming onto the show to chat with me today about everything to do with the game council new south wales thanks jason look i really appreciate the chance to get onto the australian hunting podcast i just would like to say to your listeners out there this is a golden era of hunting we, we we're developing management we've had three or four years of the best rain we've got the game numbers as good as they're ever going to get. These are the good old days at the moment, and the best way to get out there and enjoy the good old days is get licensed and get involved with the Game Council. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.